Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. For those of you not uh, familiar with our preaching ministry, we do preach expositorily. That is, we start in a book of the Bible and work our way through verse by verse, section by section, uh, because we believe that this Bible is God's holy word and that every word of it is intended to reveal to us who God is and who he's made us to be. And so we want to, to get all that's there and work through the whole of each of these books. So here now, God's holy word from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord God, thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would help us. Help us to understand what you mean in these words. Help us to understand what things in our lives need to go because of what you say here. Lord God, help us to press on as we hear Paul encouraging the church at Philippi. And we pray that by your grace, you would more and more make us like Christ. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. They say that the older that or the longer that you're married, the more that you resemble your spouse. I don't know if, if you've heard that before or seen that. Some of you I noticed started looking around immediately, you know. And and I think it's very true. That, that we do begin to resemble our spouse, particularly as we get older and have more time. And it makes sense, right? You're spending the majority of your time with this other person. You're eating the same things, living in the same place, doing many of the same things. And it, it shows up. Well, this morning we're looking at a passage that, that is taking that reality and connecting it with the reality that Jesus has promised to be our bridegroom. And that the church, his people, are his bride. And that what we should expect is, is that the longer that we walk with Jesus, the more that we will resemble him. But this passage also tells us that that doesn't just happen by proximity, but that that requires, like marriage, a lot of hard work. So we're going to see in these three verses how we are to be more and more conformed to the resurrected Christ. Not, not just Jesus as the baby in the manger, but Jesus as he is perfected, risen from the dead. And you'll see these three points on your outline. First, that this life of the Christian 
has a purpose. It's this conformity to Christ's resurrection. Second, that Christ has laid hold of us so that we may lay hold of him. And third, that we are to press onward to the goal of Christ-likeness together as his people. So let's take each one of these in turn and kind of unpack them a little bit. This life has a purpose, the scripture tells us, particularly for us as Christians, that we are to be conformed to Christ's resurrection. We see this in what Paul is talking about in this goal that he holds up to the Philippians, the way that he speaks about everything in his life. Remember how the the two verses previous to this kind of set the stage. In verses 10 and 11 it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes from that to in verse 12 saying, not that I have already attained this. And then just a little bit later he talks about the it. I have not made it my own. What is it that he's talking about that, that he's not already attained, that, that he doesn't yet have? Well, 10 and 11 show us that it is this conformity to Christ, that I might somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, when we, when we hear that, we might be thinking in natural terms, okay, if I do this and I do that and I do all of these things that God tells me to do, then maybe, just maybe, I might make it. But that's not at all what he's saying. He's, he's talking about what we are to do and calling us to do those things, the purpose that we have to be conformed to the image of Christ. That Jesus is described in his resurrection as the first fruits of righteousness. That he is the firstborn among many brethren. That we have been called to this same reality of sinless perfection that Christ has demonstrated through his resurrection, his conquering of the grave. We also see how this first verse, verse 12, describes more about what that resurrected Christ and and being conformed to him is. Did you see how in verse 12 he says, not that I have already obtained this, the the resurrection of Christ, or, and here he's, he's talking about the very same thing, or am already perfect. You see how being perfect is put parallel with what he's saying of obtaining the resurrection, having arrived, if you will, in that regard. Now, unfortunately, there are some Christians who will take this and other passages and twist them in ways of implying that we can actually obtain this state of perfection while in this life. And and we need to see how in this Paul is emphasizing our need to work at exactly that. 
But we'll see later in the passage how that is a future hope of something that Christ has already accomplished for us. And here, our, our use of language trips us up. Often when we talk about hope, we're, we're talking about something that we'd really like. Well, I, I hope that I get my motorcycle fixed before winter comes. I, I hope that we'll have ice cream after dinner. Right? There, there are lots of things. We can just hope this and hope that. Now, the, what the scripture is talking about is this hope of the resurrection and that we will share in it with Christ is not a wish I may, I wish I might kind of hope. Rather, it is the very certain hope that we who are in Christ by faith know that when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come and return for you, that he wasn't whistling Dixie. He was telling us what he would do. And what Jesus says happens. As certainly as when Jesus said, let there be light and billions of stars filled everything in space. He said it and it happened. And when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And even his disciples struggled with this, right? I love Thomas. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where? And Jesus, so patient, says, Thomas, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you. Right? I'm, I'm telling you, because I'm making it happen. I am going to prepare a place for you and I will return. And the hope of every Christian is, is that when he returns, as he has promised to return, is, is that he will make us perfect like him. And so this certain hope that we have is what we're to look forward to. And so what are we supposed to do? He says, I press on. I consider the reality of the gospel. And I forget what lie behind, lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Not because I think it's going to be like this when I get there. But by faith in Christ, I know that my Savior doesn't lie. And so the term that he uses to explain this, I'm, I'm pressing on, is, is having to do with, with a telescope. It's seeing what is actually there. I, I can't see it with my naked eye, but when I use a telescope, I look and see what, what is there. And so I'm, I'm following the telescope to get to the reality that Christ has promised. This being perfect, he says, I have not already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. The, the hard work of living life by faith in Christ according to his word. That, that he doesn't press on to do pretty well. He doesn't 
press on to, to obey most of the commandments and then say, well, you know, it's, it's human to err. You can't expect me to do everything. No, this is, this is full-blooded, entirely all that you have going flat out for what Christ demands and commands us to do. The goal that Paul is pursuing is becoming perfect, glorified, made like Christ. And is he's running everything through that filter. Right? Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I act in this way, speak in this way, think in this way? And all of those things he's he's assessing based on Will that make me more like Christ? Is that something that is going to to bear fruit in my life of more faith, of greater righteousness, of more love? Does X help me love like Jesus? Or sacrifice like Jesus? Or obey like Jesus? Then if not, I don't want it. Everything, single-mindedly, he's pursuing with this goal. Now, if you live like that, it's very easy to get crushed. Right? We, we see it every four years with the Olympics. Right? We, we love the stories of... of people who have lived single-mindedly for a pursuit in their particular event and said no to everything else, right? For these young men and women, no to boyfriends, no to girlfriends, no no to going out, no to, to eating pizza, no to, you know, all of these other things. It's like, nope, 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 nope. Why? Because I'm doing this. This is the thing that I am all about. And... And a very few do that. But hundreds, thousands wipe out, are, are crushed, can't do it. And so it's very important for us to hear that this really is a call to that kind of single-minded devotion, to a passionate pursuit of perfection. And at the very same time that this is only possible in the spiritual regard in and through Christ. Because otherwise you will crush yourself and all those around you. We see in verse 12 how Christ has laid hold of us so that we may lay hold of him. What what does it mean that Christ has made us his own? Do you see where it says that in, in verse 12? But I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. And then verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Anytime that you are reading scripture and you see something repeated, you ought to pay attention. Say, well, okay. Because the whole of what God has revealed to humanity in 66 books, 66 sounds like a lot, but you know, we, we put it all under one cover. That he left a lot of stuff out. 
So what's in here we need to pay very careful attention to. And if something he's not only put in here, but he's repeated it twice, wow, okay, I really ought to pay attention. And, and here he repeats it not just twice, but three times in rapid succession. Right? This is, this is a machine gun. You know, he is, he is getting our attention and pointing out the importance of what he's saying. I press on to make it my own. What does is, what is to make it my own mean? It's the, a Greek word that's used as a compound. It, it takes two different words and squeezes them together. And, and the, the, the first is, is a preposition, but when it's used in this way as a compound, it, it emphasizes, it's underscoring, it's intensified. It's like what we have when we put er or est, E-S-T, on the end of something, right? That, that may be big, but bigger is more big than big. And biggest, of course, you know, that highlights, it intensifies, it's, it's saying this is not just a little bit. So what is it that's being intensified? The, the term that's being intensified has to do with a, a decisive initiative. It has to do with pursuing, to take hold of in an aggressive and forceful manner. To, to apprehend, or as the translator here says, to make it my own. It, it's not just that, yeah, you know, I'll pursue that. Kind of like, you know, most teenagers about many things. My current uh, audience, teenagers excluded. Right? But have you ever in, encountered this with a teenager who's not motivated about something? Hey, you want to go do this? Eh. Right? It, it's, it's not, well, if, if all things being equal, there's nothing better to do, sure. No, this is, this is pursuit. Single-minded pursuit that you will be mine. People have, have often asked Kristen and I what it was like meeting in seminary. Right, where seminaries, at least evangelical seminaries, tend to be predominantly men pursuing the pastorate. And then some of the women who were there for the MRS degree, that's the Mrs. Boy, we're a slow crowd this morning, okay? <laughs> Kristen, let me make the point, was not there for an MRS degree, right? She got a master's uh, in theology. So, uh, but she wasn't pursuing it to be a pastor. She was involved in Campus Crusade and wanted more training and more biblical knowledge to be able to disciple young women. But when I saw her, I didn't care any about that. Right? I wanted her. But we were in this environment that was mostly men. And so I not only had to pursue her, I had to use my elbows and box other guys out. And I'll never forget one of the, the upperclassmen, right? Uh, pulled me aside one day and said, hey, I just want to check in with you. Uh, I've noticed you've been spending a lot of time with, with Kristen, and, you know, I would really like to ask her out, and, and so, but I didn't want to step on toes, you know. So just kind of, what are you thinking? Are you guys friends, or what, what's the deal? So I looked him dead in the eye and said, I plan on pursuing her until she agrees to marry me and spend the rest of her life with me. And he's like, okay, dude, fine. <laughs> to pursue, to aggressively pursue, to make your own. 
This is what Paul is saying he's doing. And notice what he's pursuing. Being like Christ in every way. He is single-mindedly pursuing the perfection of the resurrected Christ. And he will be satisfied with nothing else. But then notice what he says in, in using this intensive language, right? He says, this is what I'm pursuing. And then notice what he says. Because. Why? Why? Paul, why? You, like, you've got all the tickets. You're, you're from a, a great family. You've got all the heritage. You've got all the resume. You could do or be anything you wanted to be. He says, I'll be shipwrecked. I'll be beaten. I'll be stoned. I'll be cursed. So that I might be like Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. He has pursued me from before the foundation of time. He has been relentless as he came and was born in a manger and, and grew as a boy into a man obeying every command of his father in my place. He went to the cross to die there for us. He allowed death to lead him away to a tomb. But then he rose from the dead. He conquered death itself so that I, so that we could be His. Jesus Christ has relentlessly pursued us to make us His own. And because of this, Paul says, I want to pursue Him right back. He has me. He has laid hold of me. I will never be free of Him. Praise God! I will never be free of Him because that's exactly where I want to be. And so I want with every breath, with every action, with every thought, with every word, with everything that I do, with all that I am, I want to be His. And I want Him to be mine. And that's all that matters. But the world says, no, no, no. See, you're, you're a slave. You're not able to do what you want to do. You're not free. I was thinking about this, and the, the image of a horse came to mind, a wild horse. And in and, and our kind of romanticism, we, we tend to think of you know, the, the wild horses of Shinkatink, right? How, how wonderful that, that in all the other stuff of the world, there are still horses that run free. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful sounding thing, but do you know that God didn't design horses to run free? God designed horses to help human beings. And that a horse is never as free out on the prairie as they are with a bit in their mouth with a loving master leading them. Some of you are, are horse riders and know the wonder of having this gigantic, powerful, beautiful horse turning exactly where you want. 
serving together. That's, that's what a horse is designed for and where they are freest. And Paul is saying, yes, Lord, I want your bit in my mouth. I want to, to know you so well that, that you don't have to pull on the rein. You just slightly change your place in the saddle and, and I'm there. I'm running full bore for what you want. Jesus had broken Paul to follow his lead. Paul, why? Why are you persecuting me? And he's changed. And so now he wants to do what God has designed him to do. And so he presses on. He's decisively taking the initiative to master his self-sacrificing love for Christ and all that Christ calls him to love. This is what we find in Paul again and again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says it this way, starting at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its message and blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Or in 1 Timothy, as he teaches Timothy to follow his example, he says in chapter 6, verse 12 to 16, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, all the, the things of the world, Pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is the goal. This is what we are all to be aiming at. And this is what Christ has laid hold of us for us to be able to do. So how do we do that? What does that mean and what does that look like? We have to press onward to the goal of Christ's likeness. Paul describes this pursuit as receiving an upward call. That God himself has called us to this perfection. He says it again and again. I am perfect, therefore you are to be perfect. I will be your God and you will be my people. Together, in perfection, we will fellowship one with another. And so he says it this way in Ephesians, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I'm not doing these things hoping that I'll get noticed and then God will call me. But because he's called us, because we've trusted Christ in faith, now I want to conform everything in my life to the perfection to which Jesus has won for us. In Second Peter chapter 1, he talks about this in how the divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life 
and godliness. This is, this is why Christ has saved us. That we might be godly. You say, oh, Pat, uh, we're not godly. Exactly. That's why we needed Christ to die for us. But we don't get to say, I wasn't godly, I'm still not godly, but Jesus has died for us, so I get into heaven. Now I'm just going to keep living my life the way that I've always lived it. No. He says, yes, you were wicked in every way, in everything that you did. Because in everything you did, you denied me. And I've come and saved you from that wickedness. I've come and forgiven you for it in my death on the cross. So now, in new life, live as new men and women. Live in the way that Christ has called us to live. You might also look at Second Peter chapter 1, read verses 3 to 10. In all these things we find that not just for Paul, not just for the Philippians, but all who call upon Christ as Savior and Lord are to live in this way, are to press on to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. So is this what we're determined to do? Is that what you're aiming at? Is that what you're striving for? And if so, how does that reflect itself in your life? What are things that you are saying no to that you're cutting out of your life? I don't know about you, but I often find when I cut things out of my life that are not helping me become more like Christ, they're, they're like weeds. They, they keep coming back, springing back, right? I already cut you out of my life. Well, here I am again. It's like, well... How, how do we get at the root to be focused on Christ? To, to not simply try harder. Right? Keep, keep pulling up the, the weeds. Yes, I, I need to pull up the weeds, but I've got to also be putting the truth in the soil. I've, I've got to be encouraging others in my life and allowing them to encourage me. We, we talk a lot here at First Congregational Church about being accountable, about the importance of fellowship and discipleship in, in allowing other people to speak into our lives. But when I do some lame brain thing that I know I shouldn't do, that I've, I've got Peter... I've got Keith, I've got Gil, I've, I've got Tom, I've got people in my life who will pull me aside and go, uh, what, what are you doing? And stop it. But here's the other side of that, is how do we respond when someone tells us that uncomfortable truth? Well, Pastor, I'm glad to say I'm not one of them Pharisees, so I just told them to shut up. Mind your own business. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Now, I don't know why, but whenever I, I fall into talking evil things, I, it comes out as a southern twang. I don't know why. <laughs> southern brothers and sisters watching online, I mean no disrespect. But that, that's, the, that's the thing, isn't it? How do we... 
How do we live this out? Because we'll go for a little stint. We'll go for a little while and we'll really mean it and turning over a new leaf and man, I'm going to work on this. And that lasts, you know, months, weeks, hours. We fall back into the same things. Right? Does that happen to you? And so Paul's not just saying, okay, try it again. This time mean it. Go back to what he said. Why do I do this? Because Christ has laid hold of me. Oh, Jesus, forgive me for, for trying as if I can do this. Work in me. Holy Spirit, enable me. This is why we need to, as a congregation, be on our knees and our face before God. We're, we're having a, a concert of prayer on Friday, not just because, well, that sounds like a nice spiritual thing to do, but because your pastor desperately needs you to call upon Christ to be at work in me, to keep me from selfish ambition and foolishness. Because we need that. Please, join me in prayer Friday. But not just Friday. Let this be what characterizes us as a people of God. That we confess our sin. That we turn from it. That we learn more and more to hate it and want nothing to do with it. Lord, rip out the weeds. Get them root and all. And replace those weeds with the fruit of the Spirit. He is the God of the resurrection. That's what He does. He conquers death and sin and brings life. So, God has given us his means, the Word of God, prayer, the sacraments, the fellowship of fellow believers. Are you using those? Are you relentlessly pursuing them to help us in being more like Christ? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your relentless pursuit of us. Help us to pursue you back to grow in godliness, to confess our sin, to turn from it, to hate it as we love you instead. Lord, we pray that you would help us.